500 bracelets that have the gospel in kind of expanded form. We don't just do four beads or five beads. We had like eight beads, right? But it, we can get through it in, in two minutes. And we explain the entire gospel to uh, around 550 children. And who goes with the children? Parents. So we made about 500. We made an additional 100 while we were sitting there. We passed them all out, most of them going along with gospel conversations, as well as uh, probably 100 to 200 tracks and multiple conversations, both on the green belt and off. All of this under the watchful eye of those who said, well, you can't step off your little curb because that's your property and this is our property. Hello and welcome again to Grace Maryville Weekly which is a podcast ministry of Grace Community Church located in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. The sermon you are about to hear is a part of a sermon series presented by Pastor Chris Reiser from the book of Matthew. Pastor Chris has sought to demonstrate that Jesus is the King, which is the overall theme of the book of Matthew. It is our goal to provide messages on Monday and Friday weekly from the pulpit at Grace Community Church to equip the saints for the work of ministry, and to call everyone to repent and believe. Let's listen now as Pastor Chris works exegetically through the text. Please open in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. And if you'll stand, I'll be reading verses 13 through 20, Matthew 5, 13 through 20. Please stand with me and we'll continue to work through the Sermon on the Mount, as it has been called, the discourse that Jesus gives of the blessedness of being in his kingdom and the way in which entrance into his kingdom is gained. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled among foot by, underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until it is all accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Please be seated. It seems that we have every kind of version of the Bible today. I'm not talking about translations. I'm talking about things like the young women's Bible, the young men's Bible, the old people's Bible, the jive Bible. I mean, it's every kind of named Bible. And that's not necessarily a bad thing as long as the translation that goes along with it is strong and deep. And well, it is unfortunately true that sometimes the advice or the things that aren't God's word in those Bibles is not necessarily as, well, it's never as strong as the words of the Bible itself. But I hope that none of you have the Thomas Jefferson Bible. You know that Bible, right? That's where he looked through the Bible and he decided to throw out the things he didn't want. Particularly anything that had to do with the supernatural or anything that didn't agree with his own reason. That included, by the way, most of the Old Testament. 
and some, certainly anything that was supernatural in the new. And this is how men tend to view the Bible. We will look at it through the lens of our own reason, through the lens of our own experience, and we will determine what it is that we will believe. I will have you know this morning that Jesus didn't view the Bible that way. He didn't look at it through the lens of reason. He didn't look at it through the lens of experience. He looked at the Bible, all of it, every stroke and every letter as the inspired, God-breathed, infallible, authoritative, sufficient, inerrant word of God. This is the theology of Jesus. And therefore, this is a theology of the church. Let's explore that this morning. That's where we're going. Believe it or not, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, we are having a lesson on inerrancy, sufficiency, infallibility. And I won't discuss those things in detail, except by means of bringing out the weightiness of the doctrine that Jesus brings, even when he's really, it's, it's almost a, a, a passing comment. He uses it to establish the need for righteousness. That the Bible speaks everywhere that men be righteous, and the Bible is always right when it tells men to be righteous, and the ways that it tells men to be righteous are always correct, and they never go away. That's the astonishing thesis that we will discover this morning. Now, you remember that I told you that in studying the gospel, some of you thought, oh, good, now we get to the easy portions of scripture. And I told you that the sayings of Jesus, what Jesus says and does, are not easy. This is one of the hardest passages in the New Testament and particularly in the Gospels to work through. And we're not going to dig into all the sweat of it this morning. Over time, as we work through the sermon and other places, we'll we'll draw it out. But it has this this passage has ramifications for hermeneutics, the study of how to study the Bible, ramifications for gospel versus law, for what grace is, what law is. I mean, it's unbelievable. So we'll try as best we can to narrow it down, narrow our focus on the nature of true righteousness as related to the permanency of the scriptures, particularly the Old Testament. That's where we're headed, and we're going to start in verse 17. By the way, remember that where we are in our text is the Beatitudes have just been given. These are the blessed characteristics of those in the kingdom. And then last week, these are the responsibilities of those who are blessed in that way, to be salt, to leave the tastiness of Christ in every place, like we were seeking to do yesterday. Here we are down on our property, which is just happens to be located in the middle of the fall festival, and we pray that it will continue, that the petitions that went out will enable it to continue. In fact, we thought about having our own. We'll call it the GCC Fall Festival, and maybe everyone will come thinking it's the big one. Nonetheless, we're right down there, and as everybody walks by hundreds upon hundreds of people, we made 500 bracelets that have the gospel in kind of expanded form. We don't just do four beads or five beads. We had like eight beads. Right? But it, we can get through it in, in two minutes. And we explained the entire gospel to uh, around 550 children. And who goes with the children? The parents. So we made about 500. We made an additional 100 while we were sitting there. We passed them all out, most of them going along with gospel conversations, as well as uh, probably 100 to 200 tracks and multiple conversations, both on the green belt and off. All of this under the watchful eye of those who said, well, you can't step off your little curb because that's your property and this is our property. Well, really, it's our property too, right? We pay for it. But nonetheless, yet we did step off our curb. Why? because we need to be salt and light. And we will not, by the Lord's grace, and graciously and gently be told where we can and cannot share the gospel. Now, we'll, we'll live up to every city ordinance. We will do everything the city asks us. We will, we, will be, we will do all that we can to be the best possible citizens. When they tell us we can't share the gospel, they're done. They've overstepped their bounds. And we did it again. We sought to be gracious. When we get kicked out, we send people onto the green way. And when they get kicked out, those people that they kicked off, we say, we'll stay here and we'll send another group. But we will share the gospel and we will share it in every place and we will be salt and we will be light because no one else will do it if we don't. We're the believers 
And so we will continue to do this. So by the Lord's grace, we had a chance to practice that. But really, we understand that's not the only place. That's just one spot. You're doing that all over in your workplaces, in your homes, in the stores, when you go to a football game. It's not restricted to the fall festival that Grace Community Church helps out with. No, no, you are doing it everywhere. And I pray that you did. But as you do that, it is important for you to understand and be reminded again, why do you do that? You do that because the word of God commands you to do that. And if the word of God is not all that Jesus said it was and that it actually is, you're wasting your life. We just spent a whole afternoon of futility telling people things that didn't weren't really real uh, about, about a person that wasn't actually real, referencing things that were fairy tales. If every word of the Bible is not true, if every stroke and letter is not absolutely inerrant and infallible, we wasted our time. But we didn't. And that's what Jesus is about to say. Verse 17. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but fulfill. What we will see is that Jesus Christ perfectly fulfilled the Old Testament, and his fulfillment is the foundational work necessary for the true righteousness which is demanded of every kingdom citizen. Again, Jesus Christ perfectly fulfilled the Old Testament, and his fulfillment is the foundational work necessary for the true righteousness which is demanded of every kingdom citizen. And the first point on your outline is that Jesus came to fulfill the Old Testament, not to do away with it. And you might be asking, well, of course, we know that. Really? Well, I would say today that there are many who are abolishing what? The Old Testament. You see, most of the error in any church, any seminary, any Christian school begins with a questioning of the truth of the Old Testament. And once that has begun, it is an inevitable slide down into apostasy. You look at every school where that has ever happened, there have been a few that have reversed course after 99, for example, Southern Seminary, after 99% of the professors had slid into liberalism. But it is a course from which there is no return if it is not arrested quickly. So this is an important topic. Jesus references it because, not because he was running a seminary, but because he was living amongst the religious leaders. And the religious leaders were coming to Jesus essentially challenging him that he was abolishing the Old Testament. The scribes and the Pharisees were saying, we keep the Old Testament. We do what God said in the Old Testament. You are a drunkard. You, are a, you, you, you surround yourself with tax collectors whom you shouldn't even be with. You are violating the law everywhere. So what strange teaching do you bring? You who call yourself the Messiah from the Old Testament. That's the implication. Because notice what he says. He says, do not think. It's a negative. This indicates what? This is what they're thinking. He doesn't just say, this is what I say. He could say that he says it in, in the next verse. But here he says he assaults something that they were already thinking and the people would have been thinking it because the religious leaders were telling them that. And the way that the religious leaders viewed the law, their own interpretations of it, as we will see, became the people's view of what the law was all about. And so Jesus assaults their thinking about the Old Testament so that he might preach to the people and remove the bias that was there that the scribes and Pharisees had set up. So he says, do not think that I came to abolish the law. And notice he says, to abolish the law and the prophets, really a better translation is to abolish the law or the prophets, which simply heightens his use of both of them. It's not like we're going to subsume law into prophets and just talk about the, the commands. No, law and prophets includes all of the Old Testament. Every bit, every word, history, command, prophecy, you name it. It's all bound up in what Jesus said. That was another way to say all of the Old Testament. And he says this, this astonishing statement. I'm not abolishing any of it. 
And already in your mind, you think, what about Hebrews? It says the Mosaic law. All these things are coming to your mind, rightfully so. And we'll work through some of them. But it is a shocking claim, sometimes in our own evangelical world, and certainly in the time of Christ, because they seemed, he seemed to them to be abolishing it because he didn't live according to the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Jesus lived according to the righteousness of the Old Testament, as we will see. So this implies several things. When he says, oh, by the way, just a couple of things on the words here. To abolish means, it's a very strong word, to destroy, to demolish, to throw down, probably in this case, to declare completely invalid, no longer necessary. He's saying, I didn't come to do that with the Old Testament. Right? We're not doing away with it at all. As I said, the law and the prophets then is another way to refer to the entire Old Testament. John MacArthur says this, the law and the prophets represent what we now call the Old Testament, the only written scripture at the time that Jesus preached. It is therefore about the Old Testament that Jesus speaks in Matthew 5, 17 to 20. Everything he taught directly in his own ministry, as well as everything he taught through the apostles is based on the Old Testament. It is therefore impossible to understand or accept the New Testament apart from the Old. You cannot separate the two Testaments, and we are eager to do so at times. Jesus was, as I mentioned, constantly accused of violating the Old Testament. Let's uh, consider a couple of passages. Matthew eleven nineteen. I alluded to this already. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. You're violating the law. And Jesus said, Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. I'm doing what the Old Testament says to do, as we'll see. Wisdom. Right? I'm doing it. John 8, 5. Now, the scribes and Pharisees were clever, constantly trying to catch Jesus in a violation of the Mosaic law. Because if they could set up Jesus against Moses, then the people would follow them because they revered Moses. So they're constantly trying to say, Moses says this, you say this, right? You're different than Moses. So when they bring the woman caught in adultery, what do they say? John 8, 5. Now in the law, now notice, in the law, and by implication that you're supposed to be obeying that you're not, Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What then do you say? Now, it's fascinating that he doesn't stone her. And that relates directly to what we're talking about in a proper fulfillment of the law. But nonetheless, they're trying to catch him. And Jesus is ultimately going to demonstrate their hypocrisy, their own misuse of the law, even when he does not stone her at that time. Matthew 19.7, he does this in another hot topic of the day, divorce. The Pharisees were saying, hey, we can divorce pretty much for any reason. And Moses gives us the right to do that. He said we could write our wives a, a certificate of divorce. And Jesus comes along saying, he obviously had been teaching before this, that there's, there is, marriage is permanent, that only adultery or the death of the spouse is, is any exception to the permanency of marriage. And they come to him and they say in verse Matthew 19, 7, they said to him, why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? As we will see, a misunderstanding when we get there, it'll be a while, a misunderstanding of what Moses actually did and Jesus corrects it right there. But nonetheless, they're trying to constantly accuse him. You're against Moses. You're not following the Old Testament. And not only was certainly Jesus aware of this, but in the time of Matthew, as he's writing, he certainly is also aware, and this this began in the church very early, of the tendency to go two different directions with teachings about righteousness. Matthew's conscious, says R.T. France, wrote an excellent commentary, um, with caveats, he he, his understanding of the text is, is vast. Unfortunately, his understanding of how the text came to be is more liberal than I would like. So if you pick up that commentary, just understand that. The, the, his understanding of the text is excellent. Anyway, he says this. 
Matthew is conscious of two opposite tendencies with which he is concerned. On the one hand, a tendency to claim, in line with Paul's freedom of the law teaching, that the Old Testament laws have, uh, have no longer matter and they can be abandoned. And on the other hand, a tendency to emulate the scribes and Pharisees in careful, literal, external, and formal observance of the law, as if essentially the Messiah coming changed nothing. And Jesus, the very opposite of this, was continually careful to uphold the preeminence of Scripture in life and ministry. In fact, the predictions of the Messiah say this will be true. Psalm 40, verse 6, sacrifice and meal offering, speaking as the prophecy of Jesus, sacrifice and meal offering you have not desired, my ears you have opened, burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, behold, I come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will. Oh my God, your law is within my heart. The Messiah loved to do the law. He loved to obey the word. He loved to obey the Old Testament. And that was one of the, one of the primary characteristics of his coming. Now, again, as we kind of try to get a hold of the, the order of the day. That is the scribes and Pharisees saying, we believe the law and this is how, what it looks like to live the law. Jesus saying, no, I teach the law and this is what it looks like, right? Calvin commends Jesus's approach here. Not that Jesus needs Calvin's commendation, but nonetheless, I'm going to read this quote because I think it's very appropriate for us today because unfortunately the modern day church does not commend Jesus in this approach. They tend to add to the law or take away from the law, the Bible itself. And they say, come to our churches because we don't really hold to much of that anymore. That's old fashioned stuff. We don't believe that. The culture has changed things. And so come to our church because we're casting off pieces of the law, usually on the liberal side. But then there's a whole realm of churches in our area and other places. We've added to it. Come to our church because, well, those normal evangelical churches, they're liberal. So we'll add all our man-made regulations. We've got a thousand of them. You come in here, you do this, you do this, you do this. Either way goes exactly during the time of Jesus' day, and it's not the way that the church is supposed to act. So John Calvin says this, if we intend to reform affairs that are in the state of disarray, we should always exercise such prudence and moderation as will convince the people that we are not opposing the eternal word of God. Wouldn't that be exciting if that's what the church was really doing? We want to make sure the people are aware that nothing we do is apart from the principles of Scripture. Now, that'd be a good model for ministry. That's a good philosophy of ministry. Everything based on the Bible and making sure the people know it. I'd love to put up signs around town. Not one stroke or letter of the law will pass away. Come find that out at Grace Community Church instead of puppy dogs and the other things, other stuff that's out there. Guys, I'm not against other churches, or certainly not in our area. The churches themselves, the method of ministry is entirely different. That's a different, and that, that is reason for concern. The way they draw and the way they actually minister to people, we should be seeking to convince them that nothing we do opposes the eternal will of God. Calvin goes on to say, or introducing any novelty that is contrary to scripture. We must take care that no suspicion of such conflict will injure the faith of the godly and that rash men shall not be emboldened by a pretense of novelty. Wow. I mean, could he be writing today? Rash men emboldened by pretenses of novelty. That's what the church is doing today. But it is not. And, and so many are claiming this is the way that Jesus did it. Come do with us church the way Jesus did. We're about to find out the way church, Jesus did church, as it were, and what he held to in doing it. And what he says is this, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. And I came to fulfill every single letter and dot in the I and cross of the T Everything historically, command, principle, sacrifice, 
prophecy. I came to fulfill it all. And in this, Jesus honored the Old Testament much more than the religious leaders. You see, William Hendrickson says this, actually the honor which Jesus bestowed on the law or the prophets was higher by far than that in which it was held by the scribes and the Pharisees. You see, they buried the divine oracles under a load of tradition and regarded the doing of the law to be the only way to obtain salvation. Therefore, in reality, they were the ones who were setting aside the Old Testament. And this is exactly what the Catholic Church does. Oh yes, we believe the Bible, we hold to the Bible, but church tradition trumps it. And so everything is filtered through church tradition exactly what the scribes and Pharisees did. We believe in the Bible. We believe in the Old Testament, but our tradition, our additional 300, 400 laws that we have on top of the 638 laws or 613 laws in the Old Testament, that's how we interpret everything in the Bible through our oral and historical tradition that undoes the Bible. You can't have an authority over it. And so Jesus honored the Old Testament while they did not. And he's always pointing this out to them just as they're trying to get him to, to, say that he disagrees with Moses or disagree with Moses, he's always pointing them back to the law. Excuse me, I'm not sure exactly why it's doing that. Let's see if I can get this moved. All right. Matthew 12, 3, he says this. And when they're speaking to him about the Sabbath, that he violates the Sabbath, right? That he has undone the Sabbath. Jesus says this, but he said to them, have you not read, that's code words for, are you reading your Bibles? Have you not read that what David did, and that's Old Testament, when he became hungry and his companions, or verse 5 of Matthew 12, or have you not read in the law? And, and by the way, referring there to, the, to Leviticus, that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent. You don't know your own Bibles. You don't understand them. You tell me I'm against Moses, but you don't even know what your Bible means. That is the Old Testament Bible that they were all reading. How about Mark 12, 26? Here are two very fascinating things. Jesus says, and the, in this context, the Pharisees are trying to catch him in an error, again, against Moses, or in something that he can't answer so that they can show him to be deficient, not the Messiah. And so they ask him a question about, really, it's Old Testament law, if someone, the Leverite, the law of the Leverite marriage, if uh, someone who is married, his, his wife dies, or excuse me, the husband dies, his brother has to marry, it's, it's required by law to marry the woman who's left. If then that person dies, his brother, there's seven brothers. And if they all die, then who is she married to in the resurrection? And here's what he says. He doesn't doesn't answer the question, by the way, no surprise. He says, he goes, but regarding the fact that the dead rise again, they didn't ask him that question, do the dead rise again? But they said, what will happen in the resurrection? Now, what you need to know is the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. So they're setting up a hypothetical situation on false pretenses. That's the kind of guys these people were. So he goes, oh, but you mentioned rising again. So let's deal with that. On regarding the fact that the dead rise again, have you not read in the book of Moses? the very book that you're trying to get me to contradict concerning the law of Leverite marriage? Have you not read the first five books? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Have you not read in the passage about the burning bush? I mean, it's like talking to little children. let, Let me tell you where it is. Remember that passage about the burning bush? Exodus 3, which they could have turned to and looked at. Exodus 2 and 3. Do you remember that, by the way, in, in in your synagogue school that you went through? How God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Do you understand what he did? Not only did he castigate them for not knowing the law, misunderstanding the law of Leverite marriage, but then also refusing to believe in the resurrection, and he bases his argument for the resurrection on a verb tense. God says, I am. Not was. I am. Not only God eternally existing, but Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob still alive. 
says they're going to, you're going to see them by implication in the resurrection. He does all that on a verb tense. Not one stroke, not one letter of the law will pass away. Nothing commanded, nothing prophesied, no principle, nothing will be undone. And the Pharisees didn't believe it at all. On the surface, again, John MacArthur says, it seemed that the traditions made the law harder. You see, the Pharisees were like, we've got to add this to the law and add this to the law. But in reality, they made it easier because observance became entirely external. Keeping the traditions demanded a great deal of effort, but it demanded no heart obedience and no faith in God. So they added a bunch of stuff they thought they could do, even though it was really hard, and they removed the thing that they couldn't do, which was actually trust in God. And we're not going to get to that this morning, but that's the last verse, verse 20. The righteousness that surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees. But we won't quite get there. We'll, we'll get close. All right, so Jesus actually honored the Old Testament much more than the religious, religious leaders. Now, back to your outline, number two. So Jesus didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. On the positive side then, he says, I came to fulfill the law and the prophets. I didn't come to destroy. I came to make full, to satisfy, to complete R.T. France says, you could paraphrase this this way, far from wanting to set aside the law and the prophets, it is my role to bring into being that to which they have pointed forward, to carry them into the proper era or the time of fulfillment. Thank you for joining us again on Grace Maryville Weekly. These messages are just a small collection of sermons that have been presented at Grace Community Church in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. If you would like to learn more about Grace Community Church, where Pastor Chris serves as an elder and pastor, please visit us online at gracemaryville.org. Again, that is gracemaryville.org. There, not only will you be able to find out more about the many ministries at Grace, but you will also be able to access a full audio archive of messages not only presented by Pastor Chris, but also messages presented to our women's ministry, youth ministry, and college-aged ministries, as well as the SOLA and Essentials conferences hosted at Grace. We invite you to visit us online And we hope that you will join us again next time as Pastor Chris continues to exegetically work through the book of Matthew. Until then, remember that Jesus is the King and the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ.